Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. And I hope that you're breathing in grace and it's just permeating your life and your soul and your spirit. Um, there's a particular line in that song that I love. It's, it's enough. Grace is enough for the whole wide world. Everybody's welcome to grace. And everybody gets a chance at grace. And I'm, I'm so very grateful for that. We are, if you're looking for a text in your Bible to get to, it's going to be in Romans. Um, I, I'm all over the planet because we're talking about God's grace and it's just all over. And so there isn't one text, but there's multiples. And, um, but Romans is probably one that's a little longer that we'll take a look at if you're looking for something to turn to. November is a month of um, a season of reflection of Thanksgiving. And I hate that we confine it to just a day or a month. And quite frankly, we almost step on it through Christmas. Um, We almost make it not happen because Christmas seems to be more important. But Thanksgiving for the believer in Jesus adds an extra layer of blessing for us. Because it's not just the thankful for like what we have and how blessed we are, but that we've been given grace, that we've been redeemed and ransomed, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but children of God. I mean, what, what day do you not thank God for that? And that's something to give thanks for. And today in our series on worship, our focus on our heartfelt passions to live out God's amazing love through the grace that he's given to us and our posture of gratitude is for all that he's done for us. Our ongoing decision to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Our focus today is on a song that reminds us and serves to remind us that any, give, any given thing that we need the grace and mercy of God. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. Well, the original hymn Amazing Grace was written by a former slave trader by the name of John Newton in the 1800s. And this crusty sea captain's heart had been calloused by the deceptiveness of sin as it has in our own life. His profession was holding fellow human beings in bondage and transporting them to lives of endless slavery. It was kind of his job. And his conscience was dead from the lack of use. And just so we're clear, we're not any different than John Newton in that regard. Our conscience get all clouded and get calloused and we don't care anymore. We see that all around our world. And when they don't care anymore about anything, there is no mercy, there is no grace. And so his his lack of, of, of all of that death that was happening inside of him finally broke through and God broke through all of that And though Newton seemed to be far gone, God broke through his chains of hardness and cruelty and he gave him a new life in Christ Jesus and John Newton accepted the free gift of grace in his life. And I'm really grateful that he did because Amazing Grace probably sung to about 15,000 different tunes, right? Y'all have a tune for me that you'll come up later and say, have you ever heard Amazing Grace song in whatever song? No, I haven't. That'd be a new one. But these words, these chords fit into all kinds of songs. And in his sunset years, <clears throat> in his sunset years, Newton came to realize this and he wrote a beautiful song that's inspired us and spoken to million over the years. Strains of lines of the timeless hymn 
have been used to form new songs because the message never grows old. 2008, Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio added to the, the text of this, not in a bad way, they inspired it through a bridge <coughs> to his already powerful anthem. It's become one of my favorites for sure. Well, let's talk about what grace is. Grace is an unmerited thing that we all receive. We get it free of charge. And this is the part I really like about this particular definition of grace I found. It's enjoyed through divine assistance for humans by God for sanctification. Enjoyed. Do you enjoy grace? I mean, does it bring you joy to know that you have it? And then does it do it tomorrow for you and the next day? See, um, grace by definition is undeserved favor and approval and kindness and forgiveness, which is exactly what God has done for you and me in sending Jesus to die on a cross in payment for our sins. So you don't deserve not being punished for your sins, but God knew the price was just too steep for any of us to pay for on our own, and so he paid for it through Jesus' life and his death. And knowing grace is undeserved and that it's without it, that you'd be forever lost, it should make you humble. You recognize, I can't believe I get this. Very, very humble. And out of that humility should come this unrelenting gratitude expressed by a faithful and obedient life. So when we get to Thanksgiving Day, it's just easy to do. We don't have to go. I guess it's complicated. I don't want to be thankful. No, it's easy to do. It's Jesus taking the unforgivable in my life and making it forgivable. And if we were to just go in and like, just like instead of Thanksgiving, let's just toss in a big pile all the things that we think are unforgivable that we've done. And we put them in this big pile. Jesus has come to forgive them all. And that's amazing. I can't put amazing by too many things other than grace. See, Newton meant when he wrote the song, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He recognized the time of darkness in his life and into that darkness, God's light broke through because of God's great love for him. And Newton was one of the worst offenders in slave trade. So we could put his sin in with all of ours and it matches up. There isn't anything that any of us have done that grace can't cover. And one of the greatest lessons of John's Newton life and one for all of us to learn as well is that no one is beyond God's grace. No one. We dare not put anybody in a spot where they can't be covered by God's grace. Because quite frankly, all of us make mistakes. Not just a few, not just some, not just those irritating people in our life, but all of us. And no one's beyond God's grace. And God's love for you is greater than the darkness inside of you. And I know it's not normal conversation to speak today about our brokenness because we don't like to talk about brokenness. In fact, brokenness means we're weak and frail and we can't do it and we don't know how. And so if we just said, hey, let's all talk about our brokenness. I'll talk about mine, you talk about. In fact, we don't typically walk to, up to somebody and say, how you doing? I'm a broken person today. Let me tell you how broken I am. And we start listening to all the brokenness. It ain't long before all of us are going, you know, I don't ask that guy how he's doing. Because brokenness is not something we typically talk about, that we, that we bring up. But I want you to know the Bible's really clear that most of us already know we are in need of repair. And whether or not you want to admit it or not, with anybody else in the crowd, the reality is everyone is in need of repair. 
and we're in need of light and life brought to us. But there are some misconceptions about grace and I wanna give a couple of them. I know there's more than just the ones I'm going to cite for you today. I'm gonna give you two. And I, I suppose they're rather long because I think I wanna make sure we cover it. But the first one, first kind of misconception about God's grace, because here's the deal. When we have misconceptions about grace, it kind of keeps us chained. It keeps us locked up. And when we, when we stay there, this isn't about salvation anymore. It's about how I do my life. Like every day, if you don't live with amazing grace in your life, then you, you, you don't, you're not really completely free from it. So here's one of the misconceptions, that everyone is covered by grace. We just want everyone to be included in that. And this is a philosophy that everyone's covered by grace, and that's just not true. If you've not accepted God's gift of salvation, then you're not covered by grace, and you'll go to hell at the end of your life. That's not my words, that's God's words. And people often believe that because God loves everyone, that you could, he would never send anyone to hell. And in a sense, that's true. He doesn't really like that idea. But that's why he gives us the ability to choose whether or not we want that or not. And here's the deal. We live in an everyday moment where we choose to do that or not. I either choose to want to not go to hell and be chained, or I want to choose to be free and be living in that. And I choose every day whether or not that. It's a choice. And God gives every one of us free will to choose to go to heaven or not to choose him and go to hell. And we're the ones who make the choice in our everyday living what the hell that's gonna look out. God has set laws in place and consequences for breaking them. He also sets forgiveness and grace in place for those who choose it. Now, I, I, over the last several years, I've had a chance to work with residents of prison through Kairos. And here we are getting ready to do it again. And I find myself kind of, I love it because I just find like real life people in real life situations, just like all the rest of us, just getting caught for the things they did wrong. Many of us sit here today as free people because we didn't get caught. And um, what I found through Kairos is this stat that I didn't like hearing the first time I heard it. That 75% of people who go to prison who are incarcerated will return back to prison again. I didn't like that stat. But what I liked hearing about the stat that they were sharing with us is that through Kairos, that number is beginning to change. People who are experiencing a Kairos ministry inside prison, that when they get out, the likelihood of them returning is less. And so the number is actually getting smaller in that percentage. But they told us why those 75% return back. And these are the facts. Some of this is because they return to their old behaviors, the same people. So that when they get out, they go back to the same neighborhood with the same people you used to hang out with. This stuff we've been talking with our kids about since day one. Like who you hang out with can change what you end up doing. And so you're like, you need to change your friends. And I know, say that, change my friends, change the people that you're hanging out with. That's gonna change some things. And so they go back to their old way and that's what ends up happening. But another reason is because it becomes too difficult for them to get acclimated back into the society again. And we, quite frankly, have made that difficult on them. We don't hire them. We don't want them to be around. They, have some, they made mistakes. We don't want them around anything that we're doing. And so there are laws that keep them from actually getting back. But then this last one really catches me because I think it's really important that many are afraid of going back. Like they're getting ready. They'll tell you the day when they're getting ready to get out. They know the day and the time. That I have two days, two years, or three weeks, and four days. They, they know the minutes, right? They're counting it down. They have nothing else to do, and they want to get out. But when it gets close, they start to panic. They get to be afraid. And so I thought about all of that, and I thought about this, my chains are gone moment in the song. It's so true of us as spiritual followers of Christ as well. As amazing as grace is, and as much as we sing about it, we want to return to our old habits. 
we don't like leaving the past and we want to go back to what's comfortable to us. And so we kind of get back into the same old chained up thing we were chained up before in. Even Paul had that problem. We'll read about that today. But it's also interesting that, quite frankly, we don't receive the help and training along the way that we need to keep ourselves from staying out of the spot that we're in. And so how do we, why do we need teachers and, and leaders and small group leaders? And why are we having a Bible study on top of a Bible study? And why, why are some of you in eight of them this week? Because we need to remind ourselves that we're not chained to this thing. And we need training along the way. But quite frankly, we are also afraid of how our life will be without Jesus. Trusting, like when we trust in Jesus, all of a sudden it's like, all of a sudden I'm trusting in Jesus. Like, what if I start trusting him in and everything starts falling apart again? What, what's gonna happen then? And I've seen many return to their old ways because they're just more comfortable in how they used to have a life. It's a choice to choose this amazing grace and more comfortable with the chains on. You ever watch a dog that's chained up? Or watch an owner who's trying to walk their dog. I always say, who's walking the dog? Is the dog walking the person, the person walking the dog? There's somebody being yanked, you know, like all over the place, you know, wherever they go. And this chain is this moment, this distance that you're allowed to go, where you can't go any further. It always stops him from going any, to, to experience any more than what the owner will allow him to, to. And unfortunately, the church of today kind of misguided this idea. And many people are still chained and remain in the same place rather than moving forward into what God wants them to live. They remain in the same place where things are familiar and comfortable to them. It's as if, if they were on leashes and it was preventing them from experiencing more of what the dictator in their life, and that's what they'll say, the dictator in their life is telling me to do. That somehow Jesus is a dictator instead of one who's cutting chains off and saying, go, be free. Go, be free. And we're the ones that kind of struggle with it. That's a, that's a misnomer. Here's the second one. That was a long one. But here's the second one, a misconception, that you can sin and sin and sin some more without any consequences. I don't know if anybody wants to just get up in testimonial time about how many consequences you have because of the things that you've done along the way. And these are my consequences because of what I did. We have too many of them. But I believe the world sometimes thinks that, 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 that the idea is that there's this spot where we can just do whatever we want to do. And that's what we, we have grace to cover the consequences. God's grace is not covering up sin, but taking all the consequences away. It's there to overcome our sin and to rid us of our life. It's, 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 if it, if it's God's power within you to give you the strength that they need to free you. And some teach that God's grace is what covers your sins. And so if we sin, it's okay because God's grace covers it. Well, at least I have the grace of Jesus over that little thing I just did. And we act like grace is an eraser that wipes away sins. That God's grace is always there. So there's no problem if I sin. Well, Paul encountered the same sort of thinking in Romans chapter six, verses one and two. He said it this way. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, he says. We are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? Of course, God's grace is abundant no matter what the sin, but Paul didn't want people to think they could just sin more and more and get more grace to clear it all up. Clearly, grace isn't a get to sin all you want card. Well, let's talk about the depth of grace, this amazing grace. Again, I don't know too many things I can put amazing to. There's some, I've seen some amazing things, but I don't typically say amazing next to many words other than grace. So what makes it amazing? One, grace is power. Grace is power. How do I know it's power? Well, I, I can say it this way. It saves you. And I know it saves you. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, for it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, salvation is done on the basis of God's grace. God's gift of grace comes through the cross of Jesus, not by any works that you do. The cross makes it all possible. But there's also power in the fact that it makes the unable able again. The things I wasn't able to do, I'm able to do now. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12 says it this way. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I got to tell you, I have many things right now in my life that I'm now able to do that I wasn't able to do before because of God's grace. And I'll list mine, and you can put them next to whether or not this matches up with anything you've got going on. But there's things like this. Humility. Humility comes from God's grace. I'm not saying I don't ever struggle with it. I'm just saying my humility notch went down a whole lot when I came to God's grace. It just makes us more humble all the way around. For me, it makes me more confident. Things I wasn't able to do and say, I'm now able to do and say because of God's grace in my life. I'm able to pray differently than I was able to pray before. I could never speak to God the way I speak to him now because of grace. Is this, is this ringing true with anybody that you were unable to do before, but now you're able to do? Why? Because God's grace is there. I'm able to love unconditionally. Do I have this perfected? No, but I used to be very selfish in my love, and now I'm not. And now I recognize I need to have things in return for that. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I have a whole family that would go, yep, you can always have that problem. I know I got that problem. I'm always going to have that problem. But I know I'm better than I used to be because of God's grace in my life. Became all possible. I rely and trust on God more than I ever have before. I used to rely on me. Now I rely on him. Grace did that to me. But I would also say it this way. He makes us, it saves us and makes us unable when we're able, but it also comes in weaknesses. This is the power that we have. Grace communicates unequal position. One of greater position stoops down to show kindness to another of lower position. One with power lowers himself to offer help, mercy, and love to one who is weak. That's you and me. And it's not an an, unequal exchange. The recipient of grace, that'd be me and you, could never walk away thinking, I deserve this goodness. I've come to it this life, I've worked hard for this, and it's the only right thing that it would would be recognized and singled out for this particular honor. No, I need to go with what Ali said today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. But I also find power in this way. It empowers you and me to serve. I want you to know I find myself serving because of grace, because of the power of grace. Never thought my wildest dreams I'd ever be preaching in front of a group of people. But here I stand before you today as one because of not my power, because of his power in me, that I'm absolutely able to stand in front of you to do that. It allows us to serve in things, doing things we would never do. I can't tell how many times I had parents who come home at the end of a mission trip going, they did what on the mission trip? They cleaned toilets for fun and they enjoyed it? They won't clean mine, I know, but they did out there. I can't help it, but they were learning to serve, not because of anything I taught them to do, because of God's grace in their life. They wanted to help, they wanted to do. Here's something you need to understand. The idea of grace came from, where it came from. We look at ancient Rome, 
And before the crucifixion of Jesus, in those days, they were basically two classes of people. Those who were powerful and influential and rich. We'll call them patrons, okay? And then there were those that were not. And we'll call them clients, just for the sake of calling them something. Patrons would give grace to the less fortunate clients in the form of money and help and status and education and jobs, empowering them to do and be what they could never accomplish on their own. And the patrons would invest in their, and help their clients. And in return, the clients would honor and serve the patrons forever. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says it this way. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God who works in you to make that happen. This is grace, empowering and enabling others to do what they ordinarily would never do on their own. People doing stuff they would never do, like Christmas decorating at the church building. You would never do that on your own. You would never like, hey, I'll volunteer. No, I'll do that because grace has been in my life, and now I have got to do something in response to that. And as his clients, we want to return glory and honor and service and love and respect, and we want to do it by enabling and allowing our abilities to come forth. Do you deserve this? Do I deserve this? No. But that's the beautiful thing about grace. It's an undeserving gift based on his goodness, his mercy and love, and it's all the more reason you want to devote an entire life to him. First Corinthians chapter 15, 10, and we'll be done with this first point. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Sounds a lot like last week's song. Here's the second thing for grace in regards to what we can learn. Grace is a free gift, absolutely free. You see, it cost Jesus everything so that you could have what you have today. Now, I have lots of places that we could remember the Lord's Supper, but to me, this spot is the spot. A free gift where it costs Jesus everything so you could have what you have. I would ask you to go ahead and open up communion that's beside you. We'll take that together if this is the first time that you've joined us together. We'll remember what Christ Jesus has done on the cross to make it free for us, and we'll do it every week. It's true that the, the, the grace costs you and me nothing. It's a gift that God so graciously gives us, but that doesn't mean that it didn't cost anything. Jesus paid everything with every last drop of blood in his body. He was beaten and whipped so that his flesh was torn from his body. What do you want to know that it wasn't free? Isaiah chapter 52, verse three and verse 14, before we partake together, verse three says this, for this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing and without money, you will be redeemed. And then verse 14 says it this way. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He did all that for you. He chose to pay this price so that you can be forgiven and that he would extend his grace to us. Don't ever take God's grace lightly because it cost him everything so that you could have everything that he is. Would you thank him for that as you quietly talk to him? And now we come before you, God. Thank you again for this incredible gift that you've given of your own son. We recognize and know that it's grace that we needed. We don't deserve it, but it's what we needed. 
and you knew that too. And so we come thanking you for this gift that you've given to us. Your son was beyond recognition, beyond, beyond human recognition on what they did to him at the cross. And so we will, as the church body, come as we've been called to in Scripture to come every Lord's Day and remember again what it is you did on, your, on our behalf to bring us life. And we'll be thankful for it to all eternity. So thank you one more time for expelling this gift on us when we don't deserve it. We love you and we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, church family, would you join me as you take this bread and remember the beaten body of our Savior as you eat and remember him. And would you take the cup and drink, remembering again his blood that was shed to give you life everlasting. As you're putting your cup away, I'll remind you of something that I've been saying over the last several weeks that I need you to hear. This gift reminds you and me that we're not helpless. We're just dependent. Because nobody in this room wants to say they're helpless. Most men won't, for sure, ever. We won't say we're helpless. Like we can fix anything and we can do anything. And when we get to that spot in our life when we can't do that, we get really frustrated. Really frustrated. But I want you to know, it reminds you that you're not helpless. You're just dependent. And you're dependent on grace. Grace reminds you that you're not alone and you're not without help and the God of the universe wants to be in a relationship with you and he wants to love you and he wants you to trust him and he wants to rescue you from where you are and that means that you're gonna to have to depend on him for everything. Then I would also say this gift reminds us that it helps you see that your human responsibility is not eliminated. See, God's grace becomes effective for the person who puts faith in Christ Jesus. And what does faith look like? It has some components. It has some parts. I know we read that it's a free gift and there's no works and all that kind of stuff. But to work at faith is a, is a work. To do faith is a thing. Like you gotta trust. And that, that's a thing you're gonna have to do. And that, doesn't, that eliminates the fact that I still have to do something. In my human nature, I still have to do something. It's not what faith is. Faith is not simply saying, okay, I believe Jesus came and he died. Okay, I believe that Jesus is God's son. Okay, I, I don't disagree with that. That's not faith in its completion. A definition this week that I heard about Christ Jesus and faith in Christ Jesus is solidarity with Christ. You have solidarity with Christ? It's this uniting with Christ. Jesus and I'm united with you. Jesus, I agree with you. Jesus, if, 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 if you're for it, then I'm for it. If you're against it, then I'm against it. And if you want it, then I want it. And yes, I'm gonna live for you from now on. And faith is not a surface agreement. It's a deep, life-altering commitment that all of us have to plan the rest of our lives to do. Then I also find in this gift that it turns you from have-to people to want-to people. And I love that. I don't do these things because I have to. I do them because I want to. And you've been given a gift and you can't help but live your life thanking God for it. And so you just like step into the, the next thing that you do uh, because you can't help it. Here's a third thing I see about this amazing part of grace. Grace is forgiveness. And I'll just say it this way. How do I know it's forgiveness? Because I just want you to know every one of us have blown it. And in, instead of me telling you how you've blown it, let me let you hear it from God's point of view. Paul actually wrote this in Romans 3, 23 through 26. And many of you know these verses how we know we've blown it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his to demonstrate his righteousness because he, in his forbearance, he had left the sins of committed before unpunished and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time and so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. You and I have blown it and we need forgiveness. And I would just say it this way in about forgiveness. Salvation is what God does. Grace is why and how he does it. See, um, I need salvation. I'm admitting it. I need saving. You need saving. And I just want you to know it's a biblical doctrine of the church. And so you're going to hear around here that you need to be saved and that you need, you need salvation. Why? It's a doctrine of the church. It's a doctrine that he taught us, that we needed him. But, but grace explains the how and the why. Like, why do we need it? Because we've been given grace. We've been, it's been demonstrated to us. And grace is forgiveness. Here's a fourth piece on this amazing grace, that grace is healing. See, the only way to healing is by his grace. And one of the manifestations of grace is our, in our lives is that he heals, and, and God heals our bodies. Now, when I say that, be careful, because someone's gonna go, well, I still have cancer. That's not what I'm talking about. He heals things about us that we have held. Uh, if I can say this about my own body, there were times when I was, you know, you're in gripped in tension about your life because of the sin you're in right now and you're just trying to manage it yourself. And when you're not doing this anymore, there's healing in your body. Like I'm so much at peace and I'm really calmed down. I sleep better at nights. So that's healing to the body. My mind gets healed and my spirit gets healed because I'm growing in faith. And his divine favor over our lives has shown the healing. Many sicknesses and injuries can go away. Some of our addictions dismiss. Things I used to do habitually, I don't do anymore. What happened? When, when, did, that, when did that occur? It was when grace entered my life and healing began to happen. And grace helps us to leave behind our old sinful nature and behaviors instead of taking when we instead of when we start to take on the nature of Jesus. Let me read about that in Romans chapter seven, because Paul's actually going to talk about how healing comes to him. And I gotta read it because it's longer. So this is that text in Romans I was saying. Romans seven verses eighteen through twenty-five. Paul's saying this about himself. Listen how much this is about us too. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. <laughs> that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find his law at work. And what I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now, he ends all of that, and then he jumps to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He answers his own problem, his own question, healing that he needed to have. See, your fear gets unchained too. The words of amazing grace have not been updated by, for theology reasons or inclusivity or imaginary parts 
or a cake meaning, but there was, has been added a refrain not in, in Newton's original poetry. Perhaps with an eye toward Newton's former occupation as a slave trader, or perhaps speaking of the circumstances and activities of living that enslave us to sin, Tomlin actually, he added this refrain, which burst forth this triumphal declaration of God through love and mercy and grace, that our chains have been removed and we have been set free. See, in that same shout, there's the stanza in Charles Wesley, great uh, conversion hymn where it's called, And Can It Be? In the verse where it says this, my chains fell off and my heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed thee. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 and 15 says it this way, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It's the last piece of grace and then we'll be done today. Grace brings the hope of heaven. This is the good news of the gospel. Because of grace, there's hope. And Jesus is the one that brings the hope on. He provides hope. John 3, 16, we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, get this, will not perish, but will have eternal life. And Jesus wants you to have a hope and a future with him. And Jesus is a hope through grace. And grace makes it available to all of those who choose it. Have you ever remained chained from your past? All of us can look back and see how things have been happened previously, how we've been held in place far too long. Forgiveness from God frees us to be a new man or new woman rather than living under the mistakes that we made a long time ago. Christ died to set you free. So those sins, he took on the mistakes of the cross and the prices have been paid for your sins and the shame of which he bore, he bore on the cross. Grace makes heaven available to any person. Continuing into the second stanza of Newton's song, Newton writes that it was grace that taught his heart to fear, the punishment of his sin. It was, it was also grace that those fears were relieved. This precious grace appeared when he was standing in the vicious storm, the moment he first believed. And though the trials and the storms of life, it's grace that brings us through life and it's grace that will lead us to heaven. That's the hope we have. And God has promised goodness and he provides his word and he can, we can rest in our hope. He is our shield, the song will say. He's our shield and our portion forever. And then when our life comes to an end, our possession of joy and peace is in Christ. And although our flesh will fail, earth will come to an end, God our creator will remain the same and will be forever with us. And when we reach the glorious streets of heaven, we will sing of God's praise forever in his presence. Because of God's sweet and all-encompassing amazing grace, we can have forgiveness from our past, joy in the present, and hope in a future with him. And then I would just say this, that grace is yours for the taking and yours for the keeping. So when you grab hold of it, you grab hold tight because it won't be taken away from you. It won't be taken away from you. You'll own it, it's yours, it belongs to you. And note the wonderful change in the final last part of what we'll sing today. God will be forever mine. And then he repeats that statement and it says, you are forever mine. And it becomes personal. We're no longer singing as a large congregation about the song. We sing about the fact that it is for me. It is for me. And as our team comes and we conclude and we sing this great song, I would ask you this question. 
Why do you remain chained to the things from which Christ died to set you free? Why do you remain chained to the things from which Christ died to set you free? Today we have the chance to see these chains broken in our life. And you can start a new life. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal savior this morning, he longs to start a relationship with you. He wants to break the chains of your life and give you a freedom that you never thought you could ever have. Then there's the rest of us in this place. If you've accepted Christ, but you remain chained to something, something that's not of God, would you allow Christ to set that free for you once and for all today? I mean, would you rededicate your life in such a way that would say, why am I still chained to this dumb thing I'm still chained to, as in Romans chapter seven, Paul talks about? Like, why do I keep hanging on to this dumb thing? I want to experience this amazing grace that you're talking about, but I'm still chained up. Why? Because I'm comfortable with it, and I can't help but go back to it again. Man, let it go. You do not have to be incarcerated anymore. You've been set free by the love of Christ. And the question for both of us, Are you willing to let Christ break your chains? Man, you have to be willing to let him take the chain clippers, you know, the big big channel ones, like clink, and click those things off and let those chains drop and forever walk free as free people. But I know it won't take long before we'll be chained right back again because Satan doesn't want us to be free. He doesn't want you to be free. He wants you to stay incarcerated because he has control. And that's the one thing that Jesus allows him to have control of. And man, that just messes up our world, doesn't it? But I want you to know, because we're people of the Bible and we're followers of the Bible, it means that when we say yes to this grace, which is absolutely free for us, he still requires this human part for us. He's gonna tell us to, to believe in him. He's gonna tell us to confess him as Lord and Savior. He's gonna want us to repent and change from the things we used to have. He's gonna want us to change some of the friends we've been with. He's gonna want us to be baptized. Why? Because he did it himself. And then he said, I command you to go and do it too. We're gonna follow what he did. Why? Because he knows what's best for us. As long as we follow that plan, we're not gonna go wrong. I don't want you to stand with me. We're gonna pray about the sound of chains clinking to the ground today. Oh, we might not see anybody come forward today but I want you to know that you can make these decisions right where you're at. But if you want to come and you want to publicly make that, this is the time to do it. Lord, I'm praying right now that you'd be with us on this journey. So many times, like the prisoners we find at Kairos, we find ourselves afraid of that day when we can get out. We're afraid of what we're going to have to experience on our own. Life's going to be completely different. Sure, it will be. Man, God, we have you with us. And I can't think of any better army that I'd want connected to me than you. Any person I'd want to be yoked to other than you. Any person I'd want to lead more than you. And so today we come before you admitting that we need grace one more time. We need it every day because we're wanting to find some way to keep ourselves chained to the thing that we just feel so comfortable with. But today, God, may we experience the freedom. May we experience freedom like we've never experienced before as we sing this song sung some 200 plus years ago. May it still change us today. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com.